episode 16. I'm Ken Rakowski in Los Angeles, California, and in Santa Monica, California, the home of William Quigley, who, of course, is Mr. VC, Mr. Blockchain, Mr. I don't know. What, what, what do they call you? Uh, they call me uh, just a, a giver. A giver. He and I, every single week, are here to give you the updates of what's going on in the crypto space. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Our email address is easy. It's hello at coindmz.com. William, of course, a very seasoned venture capitalist who's been in the industry for 20 plus years. Companies like PayPal, which is pretty interesting, by the way. He was an investor in that company. Think about PayPal when you got involved. When they were just going and going at that very beginning, did they have a like an, a chance to where you went and looked at them and said, yeah, of course, this is going to become a multi-billion dollar industry? Absolutely. Very early on, in fact. And what were they doing that no one else was doing at that time? First, there were many, many people who were doing uh, payment processing, trying to get into this new payment processing for Internet companies. That was that was not novel. Even Elon Musk had a company called X.com. He was trying to do it. What they were doing was making it incredibly easy and convenient. They had terrific technology to make it super easy. Even the name PayPal, it sounds like something anybody can use. And for them to get acquired by eBay, it initially made sense, but later on it didn't, did it? Well, I always regretted that acquisition, by the way. I thought it was uh, there was no need for them to be acquired. I thought they had a much better chance out on their own without being you know, a subsidiary of a big company. Um, and, and by the way, how crazy is this? Uh, PayPal is worth, I don't know, $90 billion. Uh, eBay is worth like $50 billion. Literally, PayPal, which was this little company that got acquired by eBay, once it split off, uh, I guess last year they split off, or maybe the year before, PayPal now now dwarfs eBay. Yeah, but you needed that liquidity side of things as a venture capitalist, didn't you? Didn't you need it to be acquired? Well, I will say it is it's much easier to get liquidity to get to sell all of your stock at once. That's a lot easier uh, if you get acquired. That's what happens versus you know, being able to sell a few shares every month. So yeah, it, from a liquidity standpoint, as an investor that ultimately needed to get cashed out, the acquisition was helpful, but I think it was premature. Okay. We've been doing this for four months. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us. We are on Spotify as well as iTunes or just go to coindmz.com. Like I said, William is the brains behind this whole operation. I'm just here to record it, edit it, make sure all of his profanities cut out and sometimes his Tourette's. I keep it in there every once in a while, William. Uh, let's look at the globe. Let's look at the world. Map the crypto world out. Let's break it out into continents. It doesn't really seem like the United States is really the most innovative when it comes to cryptocurrencies, or are we? It is, right? True. It's Asia more than anywhere, isn't it? Well, I would say there is no particular place where you see a dominant role for cryptocurrencies. There's no one society that has all the great innovations. Cryptocurrency is global. And the United States, which traditionally uh, is, a, is the most significant contributor to a new technology platform, in this case, it's not. 
So what this says, again, going back to the idea of decentralized, anyone could become a major player in this this new space as long as they put the right regulations around it, open it up properly, and theoretically make sure that they're their technology is up to speed. I mean, Zimbabwe, if they wanted to, they could compete in this space, right? Absolutely, they could, though I think Zimbabwe doesn't have a very like warm reception for cryptos. But yeah, uh, it, it, it could. Any country that wants to could create a, uh, a welcoming environment for the development of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology and that would be noticed by the people building that stuff. And it could help them in terms of new jobs and more innovation in that country that then gets exported to other countries. So we're gonna talk about Puerto Rico a little later on and how Puerto Rico is trying to look at crypto as its opportunity to grow beyond what they are. Is there anywhere in the world right now, William, where they're embracing this idea of not blockchain, but specifically cryptocurrency, any countries or regions that are trying to well, utilize this? I would say you say embracing versus not criminalizing, yes. right? So, yeah. uh, so in terms of embracing, I think the closest you get to that is Japan. Really? Japan would be the leader? Absolutely. You know, the Japanese government last year uh, uh, issued a, uh, a pronouncement to its banks, telling the banks they should take blockchain seriously. Uh, they, of course, have a licensing uh, process now for crypto exchanges to get licensed. Um, I'd say they're they're pretty open, you know, to it more than any other country I can think of. You see the Philippines trying to do a wait and see approach. China, if anything, is almost doing whatever they can to put that so far in, outside its own country. It seems like if anything, China, I thought was going to embrace it, but boy, are they putting some massive regulations and, and let's just say roadblocks up when it comes to crypto, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, pretty much whether it's crypto exchanges, crypto payments, banks or payment processors, allowing people to acquire cryptos, pretty much on every score, the Chinese government has tried to restrict the use of cryptocurrency. Yeah. You and I did talk about certain locations, specifically like Liechtenstein and smaller European countries that are saying, hey, let's try this, let's get involved. And they're almost going against the wave of what the EU is. They're acting as if they're their own fiefdoms. Maybe that's where these, you know, I would say regions of bright hope are happening. Yeah, though, you know, uh, Germany, uh, even the UK, while they've, uh, they've issued warnings to, you know, their, their citizens that you got to be careful, don't jump in, could lose all your money and so forth. Uh, they haven't gone overboard in trying to uh, stamp out the ownership of cryptos or, uh, or uh, make it illegal to operate a crypto exchange. Uh, neither has the U.S., but the U.S. is probably some of the regulators have been more forceful in their language, uh, uh, warning cryptocurrency issuers, warning um, uh, exchanges uh, that, you know, regulations coming. Um, in some ways, I would say Europe has been more balanced. We got a lot to talk about. I am going to find out from William if he's thinking the 
price of Bitcoin right now is where it should be. But we will talk about how the United States is putting sanctions against the Venezuelan crypto. Google and Facebook have banned cryptocurrency ads. So cryptocurrency probably will replace national currencies within the next 15 years. And Thai banks back blockchain platforms to digitize contracts. And we know a lot happened in Puerto Rico last week. We'll talk about that. And Brock Pierce plus listener email. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. And you're listening to Coin DMZ. Welcome back to Coin DMZ, episode 1616. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. You can find us over at Coin DMZ. I like you to come over to iTunes or to Spotify. We're expanding our network. If you have some suggestions, drop me an email. I'm hello, and he's hello at coindmz.com. We're with you every single week. William Quigley is a fortune teller, and he's always dead on with his ideas. I still don't understand why you don't like Ripple. Are you still anti-Ripple? I've never been anti-Ripple. I just... Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. You hate it because it's always mined. It's already mined. There's no gaming in it. You hated I, it. I wasn't a big fan. I didn't really think it was uh, back in the day when it was originally produced. Uh, I, you know, the idea of being pre-mined was a was a radical thing, uh, and all of their coins were pre-mined. I think it was 100 billion. Uh, they sold around nine billion in their in their uh, what would now probably be called an ICO. Um, so yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. I also wasn't sure that we really needed to help banks get into blockchain. I just thought, you know, banks will do their what? thing and we'll do our no, thing. We need to help banks. We need to help banks. Their market cap right now is about $28 billion. I say that with my little pinky in my mouth, like Dr. Evil ripple. It's kind of, come on, it is pretty amazing where Ripple has gone. It has had one of the biggest growths of any yeah. of the main cryptos within the last year. But I want to ask you, William, we've seen a roller coaster ride oh, yeah. in the last couple of days with Bitcoin. Today, right now, as we're recording, we're at about 8600 bucks. It went down below 8000 I know you have your own little measurement ideas where you look at past performance should we should we be higher? Should we be around 10k? Uh, well, the market's always right, you know. It is what it is. Uh, uh, one, I'll make a couple of observations. The first is simply that, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about cryptos, you and I, we talk about uh, owning these things for five years plus, right? So, uh, I mean, the, even the notion of saying, oh, you know, cryptocurrencies are down this week or this month, uh, what should I do? I kind of don't like that attitude because there's no way to know month by month how something's going to do. Uh, you can't do that in the stock market. You can't do that with cryptos. You, you have to have a longer term view. One thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention to you, it's, uh, uh, I think it's enlightening when you think about even the stock market. And we'll say the stock market for a lot of people is sort of more predictable. It's been around longer, maybe has more substance, whatever you want to, whatever you know, you want, however you want to think about it. But um, uh, a little statistic that might illuminate some of our listeners how they think about cryptos. In um, from 1980 
to the year 2000, for that 20-year period, U.S. publicly traded stocks returned, uh, and I'm rounding here, but call it about 11% per year in return, all right? Uh, 11%. 11%. Uh, you don't see that anymore, but for that 20-year period. If you were to take out the top 30 days during the years, that 20-year period, right? Those thousands of days that happened for that 20-year period. You just took out the top performing 30 days during that 20-year period, and you would drop to around 5% return, right? If you took out the top 60 days over that 20 years, you'd be maybe 3.5% return. And the point is, the returns that occurred over those 20 years were randomly distributed. You couldn't predict them. And if you had tried to time the market by getting out at when you felt nervous and then coming back in when you felt confident, you almost certainly would not have captured all of those 30 days. And those 30 days are what mattered. And the, the reason I find that um, those, uh, those statistics fascinating is because it, it reinforces this idea that trying to market time is really hard because it's random. And so cryptos are the same. Now I know some people think, oh, I've got an idea of how to do it, whatever. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But for most people, you're better off putting um, a certain amount of money, whatever it is you're comfortable with, into the, your crypto investments and uh, coming back in a couple of years. But, but don't try to market time. Yeah, and don't try to look at this as short term. I mean, I know many of you put money into Ripple when it was like 19 cents. And when it shot up to a dollar, you go, yeah, yeah. Well, you're one of the lucky ones. And we know certain stocks have done the same thing where they may have, look at you and I did uh, mp3.com. I'm not sure. Yeah. Remember that in one day it went up a hundred dollars. How often does that happen? It's, it's a rarity. Rare, very so, rare. Yeah. And don't point at someone saying, oh yeah, I'm going to do exactly what William did or what Ken did. <sighs> We had inside information. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, we had an oh. idea. It was good. <laughs> no. Hey, hey. How'd... I didn't have inside information. I mean, oh, I, you know, maybe. we owned the stock and, and it went up and we were lucky. And we owned the stock when it went down and we were sad. That's how it works. Oh, I didn't. I got rid of it day well, one. <laughs> you... you couldn't. You couldn't. You were an investor. Yeah, that's true. I was, uh, I was uh, yeah, a venture investor. Dude, I'm serious. I think I bought it at 22. And I think I got out of it at 117 the same day. And then I get a call from Michael Robertson, all pissed off at me going, who are you dumping the stock for? I go, well, come on, Michael. If you invested in me, you would have done the same thing. And I know he would have. All right. Hey, let's talk about um, Trump and Venezuela. The capital yeah. of Venezuela, real quick. Do you pronounce it as, you ready? Do you pronounce yeah. it as Mexico City or Mexico City? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caracas. So Trump is basically saying that petro dollar, the petro currency, which, by the way, blew my mind to see this number. According to the president of Venezuela, it has generated as much as $5 billion through pre-token sales. That blew my mind when I saw that number. 
Well, um, I'm skeptical. I know I'm you are. Skeptical that they've raised five billion dollars uh, for this token. It it it, it would be phenomenal. It'd be the most successful ICO ever. Uh, so I'm skeptical, but it is it is uh, fascinating that the uh, this Venezuelan government's attempt to bypass some of the economic restrictions that have been placed on it uh, by the United States, that that they they came up with the idea, well, let's use cryptos because we'll bypass the banking networks, is pretty interesting. It, uh, it looked like it worked. Well, it must have because otherwise you would probably not have U.S. lawmakers saying we need to uh, – make it illegal, I guess, is what his executive order is trying to do, make it legal for U.S. citizens to hold uh, or to acquire uh, the Petro, uh, the Venezuelan uh, cryptocurrency. So how uh, do they do that? I don't uh, understand that. You can't do that. I think it is, you, you can let everybody know, but not everybody reads the newspaper every day. Uh, but you're right. I think enforcement here is going to be tough because traditionally, uh, the way the government would have would have done um, a move like this is it would go to the intermediaries, the banks, and it would say, hey, banks, don't let people buy this thing, right? And uh, that's the way they, they outlawed uh, online gambling in 2006 with the uh, unlawful yeah, but wait, but, enforcement. Yeah, but wait, wait, let's step back on that real quick. So with... That they went to credit card companies, if you remember, and they said, yeah, "Hey, payment processors." All of them saying you cannot go to this place when Costa Rica or wherever it was. So they found a way to block it. Yeah, this is totally different. Yeah, there are no intermediaries. Uh, you could go to exchanges, U.S.-based exchanges, right. and say you're not allowed to trade this cryptocurrency, the Petro. So that's one. I, I, I'm pretty sure no U.S. exchange will defy the presidential executive order. Uh, but and any of maybe the the uh, uh, companies like Coinbase that allow you to buy cryptos, they won't do it. But you can always use your crypto, your Ethereum or Bitcoin, and send it to somebody in return. Get a Petro if you so if you're so inclined. Um, so I think enforcement of this is going to be a lot tougher. That's so true. I need to ask a question because I bought some. You did. Yeah, I thought it was cool. It's a novelty. I just wanted to have a couple, right? So what happens now? Am I, am I a, not just a rule breaker? Is Trump going to come over and arrest me now? I think he's going to build a wall around your house. <laughs> Actually, I could use a wall. To be honest, my neighbors to the right of me. If I could get, wall. I want a free wall. That'd be great. A free wall. All right. Um, this is interesting. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago regarding Twitter and how Twitter was going to ban all forms of ICO type advertising, which we realize they can't do. There's no way. But if you go look at the big players being Google and Facebook and, and Baidu, they're getting pretty deep in the whole idea of banning anything that is crypto ICO related. And yeah. this is expected because I don't see them doing that for scams when it comes to um, investment opportunities, uh, fraudulent timeshares. I don't see that 
on any of these platforms either. It just kind of seems like this is part of what's going to have to happen no matter what. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, of course, China has a lot more uh, ability to go to private companies oh, yeah. and, and say very quickly, you will not uh, do something. In the case of the web giants of China, Tencent, Baidu, Alibaba, they've gone to them and said uh, last year, they said, you, you will not allow people to uh, use your payment methods to buy cryptocurrency. Then uh, uh, they said, you can't send money to exchanges using these, these payment methods. Uh, the fact that uh, Facebook and Google have done this sort of voluntarily is not terribly surprising to me. They do periodically look at uh, uh, new new uh, phenomenon, and if they think they did this with penny auctions, if they think uh, these things have some issues around, you know, customers not understanding what they're getting, uh, they'll they'll refuse to have ads run. But here's the here's the thing, um, it's irrelevant, and I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, Crypto uh, companies doing ICOs uh, were not finding any effectiveness with um, with Google AdWords, and they were finding very minimal effectiveness with Facebook ads. That's not uh, how people are buying these cryptocurrencies. That's not how people evaluate ICOs. They don't see an ad from Google AdSense or a Facebook ad and say, oh, I should buy this. Uh, so I think the reality is Facebook and Google were probably realizing that the ICO issuing companies didn't see these as very effective uh, advertising mediums. And so they weren't spending much money on either Facebook or Google. And so Facebook and Google can sort of show everybody or show the government that they're trying to crack down on, you know, bad investment scams or whatever. They're going to ban these ads. I, I think it's, it's fairly irrelevant. Yeah, but go look at Bing. Yeah, Microsoft Bing. I'm not sure who uses that. And of course, Microsoft is associated with LinkedIn. And I did tell you recently that I have not seen any ICO stuff sitting on LinkedIn. But apparently, Microsoft and LinkedIn, they are not banning crypto ads. And maybe this is just a way for them to generate revenue, which I don't think they need to. They've done almost, what, $7 billion in ad revenue last year. But that's probably the biggest player that's saying, yeah, come on in, market and advertise on us. They have not set any guidelines yet. All right. Yeah, so uh, it's very much uh, uh, like uh, erratic. I think erratic. the way these companies decide to, uh, to ban advertising, for instance, Google AdWords are not allowed to advertise something that's guaranteed in our constitution, which is you know the right to own a firearm. So Google AdWords uh, don't allow you to advertise uh, the sale of firearms, even though they are legal and guaranteed in the constitution. So uh, I don't know how Google decides what it is going to allow or not allow. Uh, uh, you know, it's a giant company and probably pretty much just cares about how much money it can make on something. Is that what you and, think? Yeah. And uh, in this case, if you if you Google uh, uh, like what what uh, advertising is banned or not allowed, it's a long, long it's list. It's a big list. I noticed the same thing. Hey, Gambling this is coin products. 
you know, gambling products, potions and lotions, you know, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals. There's tons and tons of stuff they don't allow. Uh, by the way, they allow all kinds of things that are very sketchy. Uh, credit repair services, they're happy to do. Uh, when ringtones was a big uh, uh, and scammy product, uh, uh, quote, free downloadable ringtones, they allowed that. Uh, I think if it, if, it, if it hits the public consciousness as a scam, they probably don't allow it. Hey, this is Coin DMZ episode 16. That's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski as we're diving into what's going on in the crypto space. William, do you know what a, a futurist is? Yes. I can't stand them. Can I tell you why? I can make up anything I want. It's the future. And if it doesn't happen, I will just say I was off a little. Now, I know people in certain religions that have basically predicted the end of the earth multiple times. Those are futurists. The reason why I'm bringing this up is, there is a futurist, a series of them that are basically saying cryptocurrency will replace the national currencies by 2030. First, where do they come up with that number? And two, this is kind of like a no-brainer. I could predict this with Crayola crayons. We yeah. know this is going to happen. But this is what makes freaking headlines. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And, and by the way, here's the key, though, and, and this uh, particular futurist uh, passed the test of being a certified futurist. You never, ever, as a futurist, want to make a prediction that is any more near term than 10 years. Because oh. as long as it's more than 10 years out, most people will forget about it. So when I speak around the world, I call myself a nextus. I'm being serious. That's I coin myself a, a nextus. I mean, I'm going to tell you what's next. And that's three to four or five months away from now. So I might be a futurist, but hey, I'm going to stand behind what I say. Hey, any, yeah, predictions of like three years are, are sooner oh, to me. Those, those short-term predictions are very useful, uh, and, but also fraught with, with risk for the person making the prediction that, that they're not only going to be wrong, but people are going to remember that they're wrong. So theoretically, a futurist should be extremely wealthy, don't you think? A, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a fortune teller. If they're think, good at it. You'd sort of think they would do really well. That's true. Yeah, um, I always wondered when I walked into a fortune teller and I sit down and they go, and what is your name? I go, well, wait a second. <laughs> Isn't that your job? <laughs> and same thing with the futurists. I want to see successful futurists. They get it. I'm a nextist. I know what's going to happen in a couple of months from now. I'm not doing all that bad because, again, I'm telling you what's going to really happen. Hey, I like seeing this in Thailand. Let's first make sure everyone understands. When we say blockchain and when we say cryptocurrency, crypto rides on top of the blockchain. You have to understand that the blockchain and cryptocurrency are not the same thing. One is the highway, the other one is the car that goes on the highway. For some reason, William, anytime someone says, oh, we're doing blockchain, they go, oh, so what kind of token or cryptocurrency are you using? It doesn't mean that. Have you noticed these things have all been kind of discombobulated together? Yeah, yeah, I have. And, and that's sort of understandable because as you and I have talked about, one of the problems this industry has is the, um, the language we use, uh, 
Uh, it, it's, doesn't mean that much to people. I mean, what is a blockchain? It's it's you know it's not something anyone can really look at and and, and taste or touch or hold. It's a concept. Uh, tokens are a little easier to understand, but you know the blockchain is just a way of uh, it's a ledger. I, th I always think of it as a spreadsheet that lists all the tokens and who owns them essentially. And, uh, and it's very, very hard to cheat with that blockchain or with a blockchain, and therefore it's reliable. And if you have a token, it's very hard for somebody to uh, take it away from you because it's very hard to hack blockchains. This is, uh, you know, the simplest way, I guess, to think about it. I was just watching Kevin O'Leary, you know, the guy, one of the guys from Shark Tank, he was on CNBC talking about his asset-backed ICL that he's working on, which, interesting idea, smart contract concept, but he started messing up the idea of the ICO and the blockchain, and he actually was intertwining them together. And what made me just go, wow, was this. This is a guy that's perceived to be one of the top experts, and he still doesn't know how to either explain it properly or he doesn't understand it properly. Well, when you say a top oh. expert, I would say a top expert in what? Because he sure as hell isn't a top expert in blockchain technology or cryptocurrency. At least, look, uh, I've never interacted with him. Uh, on Squawk Box, uh, he is. Okay, just to let you know, on Squawk Box, they call him an expert. An expert so stop in it. cryptos? Well, he called himself an expert. And yeah, if he says I, he's an expert, he is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when I see people in, I mean, we could get into the whole thing of the whole idea of being on television and masquerading as a, a venture capitalist. And I'm telling you, most of these people, folks, uh, they don't know how to freaking spell venture capital, okay? Uh, they, they're, they're, I don't know, they started a restaurant chain and uh, they, they smoke big cigars and they can bark out funny things like term sheets, but... But uh, God knows I've never met those types of people in, in you know, on a board of a, of a company that's, uh, you know, raised venture capital and is actually trying to do something fascinating. So uh, I, I've, I've always been fascinated by uh, uh, the whole notion of, of, of Shark Tank. Can, can, I, can I just say, you know, Ken, when... If, if most of the audience who maybe aren't as familiar with how venture capitalists work and talk and look and act, uh, if you saw them, yeah, they would be very boring and you would probably, you couldn't imagine a five minute TV show, let alone a half an hour, an hour, uh, because they're investment strategists, they're intellectuals, they're business historians. and They're and not emotional. No. No, that's it. That's the key. And television needs emotion. That's why, like a Kevin O'Leary, yeah, there's it's emotional and erratic. Yeah, there's not this adversarial uh, relationship b between you know the entrepreneur and the venture capitalist, at least in a good functioning system. Uh, the, the venture capitalist is trying to help the entrepreneur build the business with the right amount of capital, and it's a joint problem-solving exercise to figure out, okay, how much money do we need to raise? to achieve a certain milestone that'll prove what we're doing is right, and then we'll raise more money at a higher price and so forth. It's, uh, yeah, it's not good television, but it is good business. And so, 
Uh, it doesn't surprise me that the guy you mentioned was uh, was masquerading as a crypto expert, but maybe didn't know the difference between a blockchain and a cryptocurrency. Now we're going to talk about blockchain because this is a blockchain story, which is good. Remember when we talked about voting and how certain countries are going to try to do blockchain around voting? That makes sense. That's not a crypto story. That's a blockchain story. This one is specifically about the banking industry inside Thailand, and they're looking at using blockchain to do contractual relationships. This is a good start. This is basically saying, hey, we're, we're Thailand, and we want to go to the next iteration of the Internet. Right. Can yeah, you that? yeah. And this is, you know, it's maybe beyond the bounds of this uh, this this podcast. But uh, uh, anyone listening to the podcast, I, I I hope some of you have taken the time to go on, let's say uh, maybe YouTube or a heck, even if you just Google things like uh, what makes a blockchain work, uh, why are blockchains secure, and so on. What you'll start to realize is. Uh, the difference between a blockchain and, let's say, a database, because people sometimes think they're the same and they have similar functions, but there's one huge difference. If you put a bunch of information on a blockchain versus you have a bunch of information stored in a database, one thing blockchains don't allow that, that databases do is the deletion of information. Got it, right. Right, you can't delete information, or at least you don't want to delete information from a blockchain. If, if if it can be deleted, it's really not a blockchain. And and so you can imagine when you're trying to put a document in your your Thailand, and you want to record a bunch of documents and ensure that they're not manipulated or changed, modified in any way. The the blockchain solution is really good. Because you know if that document is secured by a blockchain, and of course we're assuming here that the blockchain is something as secure as, let's say, the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain, uh, then you know with certainty it hasn't been tampered with. And that's, that's incredibly valuable. So I really like the idea of, uh, of uh, having contracts uh, digitized and secured with uh, trusted blockchains, meaning blockchains that aren't owned by one entity or managed by one entity. You don't want that. You want something that is exactly what this is and that it's open to everybody. 14 banks, by the way, 14 in Thailand. That's an amazing number. Hey, when we come back, we're gonna touch upon a somewhat tricky subject. One is about a very, very close friend of ours, which you may have seen on the news and also why he's spending so much time in a Caribbean island. We'll find out a lot more. He's William Quigley, I'm Ken Rakowski. You're listening to Coin DMZ. Coin DMZ, William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, episode 1616. It's amazing. It's incredible. Many of you may have been spending some time in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, of course, some people would say is the 51st state. It's the one that was totally decimated by a Cat 5 hurricane last year. And Puerto Rico is trying to come back in a lot of ways. And that's why a lot of entrepreneurs are seeing Puerto Rico as an opportunity. One, of course, is a good friend of William and I, and his name is Brock Pierce. They just had this gigantic 
series of conferences around blockchain and Bitcoin and, and something called Coin Agenda all happening down in Puerto Rico. Did you hear much about it, William? Of course, I heard a lot about it. Uh, it was, uh, I think, very well received. And uh, the government of Puerto Rico, particularly the economic development folks in Puerto Rico, I think mm -hmm. they see what uh, Brock has been doing as very positive for their, for their territory. Uh, because uh, you don't have to be in, in Silicon Valley or you know in, uh, in Tel Aviv or any other hub of uh, software development to create a very welcoming environment for blockchain-based businesses. Uh, a lot of these businesses could use traditional banking. It might seem odd that blockchain and crypto, which are trying to sort of uh, work around the need to even use traditional banking. It's true, but until that happens, until uh, blockchain-based uh, payment methods become widespread, they're not yet, having um, uh, an ability to do things through banks is very important to these businesses. And uh, Puerto Rico seems to be pretty open about uh, blockchain companies getting based there and building their operations from there. It is Puerto Rico known as a tax haven? Um, well, it's an interesting place because I wouldn't call it a tax haven for everybody, but you might call it that for U.S. citizens. Uh, U.S. citizens uh, pay taxes wherever they are in the world. Uh, we have what's called a it's a it's a citizenship based tax regime in the United States. Uh, it's one of only two countries on earth that have this, by the way. In every other country on earth, you uh, uh, you pay taxes based on where you're located. So you're a, if you're a, a UK citizen and you're working in Hong Kong, you pay Hong Kong taxes. You don't pay UK taxes because you're not in the UK. It seems very sensible. You would pay taxes based on where you're located because that's where you're using the roads. That's where, if you have kids, the kids are getting schooled and so forth. The U.S. has a bizarre uh, tax uh, philosophy, which is no matter where you are in the world, if you're 20 years old and you move, let's say, to the Philippines, and you live there your whole life, you are expected to pay taxes to the U.S. government your whole life. It's... And Philippines? Uh, and the Philippines, yes, and the Philippines. And they give you, the U.S. will give you, nice of them, will give you tax credits to offset the some of the taxes that you pay locally, but not all. So it's a bizarre system. And uh, it's one I really think is wrong. But You said there was two countries. What are the two countries, the U.S.? Or what's uh, the other one? Uh, I think the other one is Eritrea. He just made that I, up. I, I think up. it is. Oh, it is Eritrea. I, oh, okay. I think, I think Got it. that's the, I mean, and for those of you, uh, yeah, and, and we all know that they, they're a huge, uh, you know, forward-thinking economic power, aren't they? So, I mean, it would be one thing if it was like the U.S. and uh, the U.K. or the U.S. And, 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 and Russia or something, the U.S. and China, but, but the U.S. and like Eritrea. So I could be wrong about that, but I believe that's right. So, um, by the way, some of the prettiest women from Africa come from Eritrea, just to let right. you know. Okay, I, I and you, don't know. you probably need to pay taxes for that. Uh, so Puerto Rico is about a 5% yeah, tax rate. And what right? makes Puerto Rico interesting is this. It is a territory of the United States and, 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 you're considered a citizen 
a U.S. citizen if you're in Puerto Rico. So what is weird is you can extinguish your federal taxes and your state taxes if you uh, reside in Puerto Rico and you, uh, you know, you earn income there. For two years. Uh, yeah. If you, for over, I think it's three-year period, you could literally be in Puerto Rico uh, and you would pay, I think it's under 5%, but let's say it's a 5% tax. Your federal and U.S. state tax would be considered paid for. Uh, and so you're effectively, you, you, you're paying less than a 5% tax rate, but you, of course you have to reside in, uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, and, and so it's, it's actually a very attractive place for companies that expect to make a fair amount of money to uh, manage their tax liability if they're, if they're uh, you know, staffed with U.S. US uh, citizens. So that's one of the advantages. It makes total sense then if you're in the crypto space to be out there because you could be anywhere to do it, right? Or if I was an, a, a network marketer or a social media guru, set up shop out there. I agree with you. I think it could be interesting. Now, now you know, obviously the infrastructure is much less advanced in Puerto Rico. Uh, it is a problem. But that's why our buddy Proc Pierce is going out there. There's, it's a tax opportunity. Plus, he feels he can build that thing up. But let's talk about Brock. Brock, you and I and Brock, have been, we've known each other for, what, 20 years, I think? Yep. 20 years. He got bashed a week ago on a show on HBO, uh, John Oliver's show. I mean, he John Oliver personally went after Brock. Call him a... A sleepy cowboy, a sleepy, creepy cowboy from the future, which I did think was funny, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what was that? Basically, he was saying that this guy looks strange or different, and because he looked different, there is no way he should have been able to raise one point five billion dollars for his company called EOS. Yeah, I. By the way, I, I thought it displayed a lot more ignorance of uh, John Oliver than anything else. Uh, uh, I, if if it was easy to uh, find uh, the good deals and sort out the bad ones as a venture capitalist by looking how people dress, let me tell you, we would have figured that out a long time ago, and we'd say, forget about the business plan. Send me a picture of your closet, right? But that's not how it works. So, yeah, Brock kind of dresses what I would have called back in the day as a hippie, right? But I don't know what to call it now. Uh, but he's one of the smartest guys I've ever known. Very forward-thinking guy. Uh, he and I were informed at the same time by the same person uh, about uh, Bitcoin and the Bitcoin blockchain. And both of us said, this looks interesting. Let's get into it. And... Uh, uh, Brock has been doing nothing but cryptocurrencies and blockchain development since 2012. Uh, he's done very well. And uh, I think what, here's what I think, Ken. Uh, John Oliver, who knows, could barely spell Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. I mean, the guy's uh, uh, like a television he's a personality. He's a comedian. But he, uh, whether through jealousy or just because it's in the news and he wants to appear relevant and current, he decided to talk about cryptocurrencies. And, you know, since he's a comedian, I think his shtick is to find something to point uh, uh, fun at. So he decided to, uh, like, point fun at Brock and, and, and some other, like, funny named coins, uh, which he himself said, I don't know, some of these could be great, some of them are maybe scams, I don't know. His whole point just seemed to be, 
Um, while lots of money is getting made in the cryptocurrency space, and uh, I'm not sure about it. I also suspect that he's he's from the UK, right? Yes. Uh, where you know, there's not a UK people don't have a constitution. <laughs> we uh, we do in the United States, thankfully, after we defeated uh, them in our uh, war of independence. And our constitution gives us things like uh, right uh, for free assembly, right for free speech. And uh, we're, we're basically just, we have a lot more rights than uh, the people in the UK. And, and I see the United States in particular, there is a very strong emotional streak in us around self-destiny and uh, anything that we now call, would call decentralized, where we don't like one entity, one company to have, to have all the power and for it to threaten us. And that's what attracts a lot of libertarians to, uh, to cryptocurrencies and to blockchain-based businesses because they are run by a community, not by one all-powerful entity. It's why many governments get, get concerned about this stuff because they like to control it. And I suspect uh, John Oliver is more of a, of a statist He's someone who's very comfortable with a monarchy, with a, with a, with a powerful central government <laughs> telling him how to think and run and operate. And so he probably is naturally suspicious of something that is an emergent phenomenon like cryptos and blockchain, where the power is in the hands of the people. And so he poked fun at it in order to kind of maybe attack it. And Brock Pierce's funny hat and funny pants probably are They are cards. funny, by the way. They are funny. And his chestiphedrons, that is all kind of whacked out stuff. Let's face it. Brock is in the fintech business. And because he's in the fintech business, finance and tech, it's a bit unusual to see somebody dressed like that talking about banking, future banking. Yeah. Of course, what I would say to you is uh, uh, I was involved in the stock market in uh, 2007 and eight and nine. And, you were tied. Uh, I saw what happened with the uh, uh, with what those guys did to my 401k, and I saw how much the stocks collapsed. And I still am and still am shocked that a year later these people were getting massive bonuses that were mostly subsidized by U.S. government guarantees to their institutions, which would have been bankrupt otherwise. I found that really distasteful. So I got to tell you. Uh, if Brock wants to wear funny pants and a hat while he promotes what cryptocurrencies and blockchain can do, blockchain technology can do to our existing businesses, and what these things can do for people who want to invest, for people who want to raise capital, uh, and I think a lot of those things are very good. Of course, there's scams in crypto, and there's scams. I get it. You know what? It's okay. It's okay. Brock was targeted. You sent me a good funny picture of Brock actually watching John Oliver talk about him in his funny hat while he was in his funny hat. And <laughs> Brock's got a good Brock's got a good sense of humor. So he does. And so do we. We have a great sense of humor and we love hearing from you all around the world. Our mailbag is full and we get so many emails and it's wonderful to see where you're coming from. Let's go after three emails. We try to do three every show right here in our listener email. First one's coming from Denny, who is from Prague. He says, DMZ guys, 
Uh, the first question is why DMZ and Coin DMZ? Yeah, I came up with that because I couldn't find any other dot coms that sounded decent. Actually, you know what? I look at the demilitarized zone concept over in uh, North and South Korea, and it's always like a a, a a war going on between both sides. Both sides, by the way. Have you ever been over there? Have you ever been on the DMZ? I've never been. So North Korea has a flagpole. South Korea's got a flagpole on each side. And every day they measure which one is higher and they constantly add a few extra centimeters to it. So they are literally the tallest flagpoles in the world between North and South Korea, okay? It's stupid, right? And the question is, uh, hey, uh, when I think of DMZ, I think of North Korea, do they have a chance to create their own currency? Rock on, guys. Cryptocurrency. I didn't, I didn't know guys in Prague talk like that, but that's pretty cool. Of course, anyone could do a cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, North Korea could create its own cryptocurrency, uh, and in fact, probably will at some point because yeah. I believe, like you believe, like the futurist believes. Uh, uh, Nexus. I'm a Nexus. All, all governments will eventually have blockchain-based uh, currency systems. It just makes more sense. It's cheaper. Counterfeiting goes away. So yeah. Okay. North Korea What's will do it, even though they're the biggest counterfeiter on earth. I think they will. They are. $20 bills and weapons. That's their biggest export. Who's our next email from? It's from uh, Z from Shanghai. Uh, my government is cracking down on everything digital. We have no Facebook, no Google Plus, no YouTube. Will they block any of my altcoins? Well, I... Uh, I am sorry that that's what your government's doing, but I'm well aware of it. And here's my sense. Uh, the Chinese government, I think, has kind of a love-hate relationship with cryptos and blockchain. They do worry that a lot of people could get scammed. And one thing China does not want, it doesn't want its population getting up in arms and riled about a big scam and then turn to its government officials and say, why didn't you protect us? That is something that is very, very concerning to China. That's why when a, uh, a small episode in one of their provinces starts to gather a lot of momentum and people start to get riled about something, you might remember, Ken, a few years back, the uh, contamination in the uh, baby formula and how a few hundred uh, babies were killed by basically bad factory practices for the creation of baby formula. They executed people from the factory that had cut corners and uh, uh, released this contaminated baby formula when those people apparently knew it was contaminated. So I would say that's one reason they've cracked down because there was a lot of fraud that was starting to percolate back in uh, the second half of 2017. The other is the blockchain. I think China sees the value of blockchain technology and wants to promote it. They've even started to have uh, some official support for blockchain development. Uh, a couple of their agencies have started to put money into that. That's what I, I see. And I don't think they're ever going to embrace, though, these altcoins uh, being used in China. I agree. And I also want to let... The Jing, I'm not sure if it's a guy or a girl. I think it's a girl. Um, not having Google Plus is okay. Just so you know, I don't think anyone even. I don't even think anyone even at Google uses Google Plus. <laughs> That's probably uh, true. It's true. And this our last one is from Austin from Irvine. 
Irvine? Irving? Irving. Irving. I don't even know where that is. Uh, I've been dollar cost averaging into a mutual fund. Dollar cost averaging, everyone, is taking a certain amount of money. Let's say you had uh, $1,200 a year and you took a $100 every month and you dollar cost averaged it into a mutual fund. He puts it into a Templeton or Franklin Templeton high growth fund. And over, he's been doing it over 10 years. He, over the last five years, has got a 22% interest or return rate, which is pretty good, 22 over the last five years. I'm looking for a managed fund that focuses on digital currencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and more. Is there anything out there? Is there any smart people that manages a portfolio where I can invest on a regular basis? Like a mutual fund? I don't know of anything like that. Do you? There are, there are, uh, there are funds that uh, people can invest in if they're accredited investors. There are uh, uh, funds that will take your money and, uh, and then invest in various digital currencies. But oh, they're, there? They're, these funds are uh, very small today. They only take accredited investors. And there's nothing like yet, like what uh, Austin uh, is asking Thompson. about, where he can go like on a mutual fund with his... Uh, individual retirement account and just set aside a few hundred dollars uh, uh, a month. That doesn't exist. I believe in the next two years it will exist. It doesn't exist today. All right. Uh, William, again, this is episode 16. We've been doing this four months. And in four months, I've gotten to know you a lot better. One, you should have been a geography teacher. That was your real calling. And number two, you were an amazing speaker. Where are you speaking next? Well, I'm actually up. In, thank you, Ken. Uh, I'm uh, in in Palo Alto tomorrow night. Um, I'll be uh, presenting at a uh, investing in ICO conference. Uh, in uh, do you let do you let all your Snapchat friends know where you're at? Do you put locations on? Uh, yeah, I don't use Snapchat much. Uh, oh, but I okay. do. I do. We do post where I'm going to speak on uh, our website, Wax Wax.io. Uh, and then um, after that, I think the next place uh, will be in Los Angeles on April 5th uh, for a crypto investment conference. Uh, I'm actually trying to take William down to uh, Dubai, possibly the last week of April. We're not sure if we're doing it. We'll let you know. But William, I appreciate you always being here for us to learn more, just to tap into your knowledge base and just being being here for us on coin dmz thanks a lot buddy well thank you i always i always enjoy our time together ken i don't believe that all right coin dmz episode 16 appreciate you hanging out with us you want to find us hello at coindmz.com and that's it thanks a lot for listening and being part of coin dmz